Hey there, this is your spoiler alert. We're talking the books of the Wheel of Time and how they compare to season one of the show on Amazon. If you're not a book reader and you don't want to be spoiled, this particular episode of Bustin' Blockbusters might not be for you. You have been warned. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. It's been a long time coming, I know, but welcome back to a quadruple B. That's a Bustin' Blockbusters book biased babble. We're talking about the Wheel of Time episodes four through six from a book reader perspective. So if you're not a book reader and you don't want to be spoiled about things from the books and the way they interact with the television show, this probably isn't a podcast or video presentation for you. My name is Matt Murdick. You can call me Double M. You can call me Hey You if you wish. I'm perfectly fine with that as well. Just a quick reminder, I want to hear from you guys at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter, at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. And if you send me a screenshot of you being subscribed to this podcast or any Double P Media podcast, then you are entered into a contest to win a free Wheel of Time t-shirt, one of the official ones from Amazon that you can win. Uh, I'll pay for it and then send it to you. But you have to send me a tweet of you being subscribed to any Double P podcast. Speaking of which, at the word double, the letters PHQ, that's where you find all of the things that Double P is doing. And I encourage you to follow them there. Also, you can go to doublepmedia.com. That's the word double, the letter P, media.com to find all of the links for everything. If you're looking for our YouTube presentations of these, you can find them at youtube.com slash C, C stands for channel, uh, slash double P media, the word double, the letter P media. And if you want to send me emails, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can find more contact information and all of the podcasts that I do, be they double P or not, via my website, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S, audioblog.com. I wanted to start off today's podcast uh, actually with some feedback that we had actually recorded uh, for our episode six review but I read it really poorly and I never did really get much of a reaction out of it from Bubba and Catfish. So I just cut the whole thing out. And this person is obviously a book reader. So hopefully they will be listening to this podcast, but this is from Kerr and it was regarding episode five. And they said, I have to say, I actually liked episode five as a book reader, maybe even because of the focus on the side character that isn't a big focus in the books. While it's neat to see the story of the books on the screen, I know that part already. So for me personally, those changes and additions to the core story are actually pretty interesting. So I'm very much in the book reader camp of, hell yeah, give me all the new change stuff if it fits in. Good points, Kerr. I really like that. Um, Kerr goes on to say, I thought it was a great way to set up the whole water Sedai dynamic and show the importance and impact of that bond because of that I felt it was still very much about our main characters because Lan and Moraine 
dealing with the Steppen situation informed so much about them. And I really liked the actor of Steppen as he made me very much care, even for just that episode. Another excellent point. Um, Franz is one of my favorite actors, too, uh, that we've seen in this series so far. I loved him in Vikings as King Harold. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before. Kerr continues saying, and it sets up the stakes for Moraine and Lan and the nature of their bond, but then also shines a light on whatever is blossoming between Lan and Nynaeve in regards to how awkward this relationship between those three might be. Especially in the last scene, you see just how much Lan and Moraine are very much in sync with their emotions and must be extremely weird in particular for Moraine when Nynaeve is warming up to Lan and vice versa, but very much still hates Aes Sedai, including Moraine, when interacting with her. And that carried out through episode six as well. Kerr, good thoughts. Kerr finishes by saying, but again, I might just be one of the book readers that actually enjoys it more when the show is finding its own new ways to show us things that are told to us in the books by often inner monologue and thus am very much on board with the changes from the books and the additional fill-ins. So it all worked for me. Great thoughts, Kerr. And I agree. I don't have much of a problem with anything that they've changed or uh, things that they've brought forward that you would only get you know, inside Nynaeve or, or Rand's head. Um, there aren't too many POVs in the first book, especially. You do get a Nynaeve POV, you get a Rand POV. I'm trying to think if you get anybody else. But um, some of these things uh, wouldn't be apparent uh, to just show. Some of it you have to tell. And they've done a good job of showing what they're trying to tell anyway. Uh, like, I'm making sense there. But either way, uh, you get what I mean. So thank you so much for that great feedback, Kerr. Really appreciate it. Let's move on to talking about these three episodes, and I'm going to split them up pretty much in the way that we saw most of their storylines. I'm going to do Rand and Matt. I'm going to do Perrin and Egwene, and then I'm going to do uh, the rest of it, kind of all lumped together. So as far as Rand and Matt go, let's just start right at episode four. Um, loved the Tom story about his nephew Owen uh I thought that was a great way to demonstrate how the Aes Sedai are not liked by very very many people um and it helps set up of course what happens to Loghain at the end and we even see that carry through in episode six um when he I I I'm gonna go ahead and talk about that real quick the Loghain thing was very cool in the fact that uh once he was gentled we saw a little bit of the madness in the episode five um, and we saw him starting to lose his will. And in episode six, what I loved about that scene with Swan was the fact that it was twofold. For one thing, it demonstrated how Swan's power is slipping away from her based on what he said about how he got a whole army to join him to face up against the Aes Sedai. But it also uh, was a great demonstration of him trying to goad her into just killing him you know, a kind of a death by cop situation. So that worked really good. But Tom's story 
is the source of this. Tom's story is basically what Loghain is starting to go through. And I loved how that worked out. The only thing I didn't like about the whole Tom thing in general was the fact that because we didn't get him early on in the episodes, uh, the fact that he's left fighting the fade, uh, just like he is in the books, uh, seemed to shortchange him and make him a, a very, very minor character instead of the fun character that he is throughout the first book and how he became a fan favorite of book readers, of course. So that, that hurt me just a little bit in terms of um, TV audiences didn't get enough chance to really invest in him. Although uh, some of the Tom stuff was so very intense, I don't know how you could not like him. I just wonder if people have already forgotten about him if you're not a book reader. So that was the only thing about that. Um, I love the fact that they kind of just condensed the Matt and Rand road trip. You know, you had the 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 four kings in episode three, and then you have the single farmhouses, which is all you need, rather than him going from town to town and, and what have you, uh, and them trying to find places along the road to stay, to sleep in the bushes. Um, and they intensified the whole Matt sickness fairly well. I, I loved all of that. Um, the visual representation of the corruption. I don't know if I'm ever was really all that on board with that, but uh, it did visually demonstrate that there was something actually wrong with him. And then of course we get the connection to the dagger in, in episode six for certain. I loved the floating fade when Tom was fighting it. Uh, it was great because that was the whole idea. You have those descriptions in the book about how the wind uh, doesn't even blow a fade's cloak and everything, and they seem to have just flowed off of the ground. Uh, so that was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I love how it also demonstrated Tom's ability to, to fend off this fade because, you know, Bubba thinks that it's going to take away the power of, of the fade. But I was certainly convinced that, that Tom was dead in the books, and this allows you to, to give Tom a chance. Uh, so love that a whole lot. Moving on to episode five regarding Rand and Matt. I'm, I'm hoping that they recognize that the, the whole recognize the mountain thing isn't going to become <laughs> Rand remembering it because he was a kid. Uh, that, that was or because he was a baby. In fact, that would, that would be a little bit too much because it would start to seem like that whole star Wars thing where, where Leah is asked by Luke, what are your memories of your mother, your real mother kind of thing? I don't want that kind of thing. I, maybe if you're a baby, you might have some kind of impression of something like that, but no, 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 let's not, let's not do that whole thing. Um, because it didn't work for George Lucas, and I don't think it's going to work here for Rafe if, if he decides to go that route. But if you disagree with me, feel free to tweet at me at bust blockbuster on Twitter. I'd be happy to field your protests of any of my thoughts uh, because they're not all going to be great. As I've said before, I am not a book expert. Uh, I am not the dusty wheel. I am not. Uh, everybody hates Rand. Um, I'm not even uh Chris from TV Podcast Industries, who is obviously very well versed in all of the books as well. When I listen to that podcast, I love how careful he is to not spoil a TV only audience, but you can tell that he really knows what's going on. 
I had hoped that once we got to episode six, that we would see Moraine use the Angriel uh, to get break the connection with Matt, but we didn't get that. Um, that's kind of unfortunate to me that we saw it shown just kind of as an Easter egg in the very first episode, and then we've never seen it used. Uh, so that that kind of bothered me a little bit uh, for episode six. I the introduction of Loel. Okay, I, I was surprised by the appearance immediately, and it's still taking me a moment to get used to it. Um, I don't want to diminish how much I love the character on the show, though, because despite the fact that you know he looks a little weird to me. Uh, and the fact that he's not, you know, standing another three feet taller than everybody else, it, it just, that, that shouldn't bother me. Uh, the acting has been fantastic. The writing for his, his character, the way, you know, they're emphasizing how Ogier's, uh, for them, the whole way of humans is moving way too fast. They don't take the time to, to ponder things. You know, Ogier's are slow moving people. Um, and that kind of gets cheated as well. Um, through the uh, the sixth episode where he's just hopping on a regular horse and and it's not showing, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm being nitpicky, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, but I love I love the actor. I love the character uh, in terms of the writing and and the portrayal. I just uh, I can't I'm still trying to get used uh, to their looks, to to Loyal's looks. The Breakbone Fever story from Nynaeve. So uh, they demonstrated to us book readers that that was a great Easter egg for how um, Nynaeve may have used a power to to heal Egwene. And that's what gave Egwene her power. I know that that's alluded to in the books. So that was a wonderful uh, way to represent that story for book readers without giving it away to TV only people. Um, and that, that was a nice nod for Rafe to do that. And for episode six, um, uh, you know, I, I, I know I give Rand a lot of hate, but yeah, he pretty much is useless against land throughout most of the books anyway. Right. Um, uh, they did take care of the whole dagger thing pretty quickly and differently because of course in the books, um, Matt has been broken. His connection to the corruption is broken but he still has to hold on to the dagger. Oh, I wanted to go back to episode five too. Remember the whistling when they first came into uh, Tarvalon? You could, when they're first walking in the inn, you hear that whistling. I think that's the pot and fane whistling again. So they're having pot and fane, you know, continuing to follow the two of these guys. Um, we heard it uh, in episode two at uh, Shadar Logoth, but I don't think we've heard it since then. Um, so to hear it again in episode five, oh, Pot and Fane is still there. And that brings me to episode six here in just a second. I want to talk about this, but uh, they did take care of the dagger kind of differently. It almost feels like that they have suggested in the television show that the connection with the dagger is completely broken. Um, because Matt doesn't seem to need it. I wondered about the hesitation at the end of episode six 
if that was kind of dagger connected and I even tried to hint that to Bubba and Catfish and they weren't having it. So I'm probably just seeing things there. But the fact that it seems to be completely resolved seems a little weird to me. And now it's going to make it even awkward, if, more awkward if they have to bring it back up once again. Uh, and that's why I thought maybe that thing at the end of episode six uh, was to keep that in our mind. But I don't know how you would make that connection unless you already knew that the connection to the dagger was strong enough to where he would have to have the dagger on his person for quite a while. There's not a whole lot to say about Rand here. We know he's going to get some uh, sword training from Land. Uh, we he, He's definitely training with Land by the beginning of book two regarding using that sworn sword. They still haven't uh, demonstrated the importance of that blade yet either. But we saw in the trailer that there is a flashback coming of the Aiel fighting and probably on that mountainside. And we'll probably see uh, Rand's dad uh, picking up the baby, right? So we'll, we'll see how all of that plays out. Maybe they'll explain the importance of the blade then, other than just showing us shots of it and people going, ooh, that's a cool blade. Uh, so, because uh, I don't really know of any TV viewers that are asking any real questions about that. Um, the most remarkable connection that they've made with Rand and the Aiel was by Loyal, which I thought was wonderful in episode five where they, you know, they did the whole hair thing. Uh, and I tried to play it off as, as Loyal, you know, being very prejudiced and typecasting of, of peoples, but you know, that's what I have to do sometimes in a TV only podcast. So I love that. Um, back to the end here with Matt, where he doesn't go with them in the ways. Now they can approach that in episode seven in two ways. They can have one of our potential dragons, you know, show some great power by being able to reopen the way gate for Matt to come back through, which I don't know. That would seem kind of cheating. Or they could use Matt as a way to bring Pot and Fane back into the story right now, um, because maybe Matt will suddenly feel guilty and he figures out where they're going to go and Pot and Fane continues to follow him. Uh, because it's not clear how Pot and Fane really followed them once they went into the ways in um, in the books, uh, how he figured out that they were headed to the Blight. Um, although he's just got this, I guess it's the Dark One's connection through Perrin and Rand and Matt, um, and then Pot and being having that relayed to him, uh, being a dark friend. But you could have some really neat stuff with Matt and, and Pot and Fane happen here it's, it's a nice potential to bring him back into the story and to pay off all of that whistling that we've been hearing um whether they do that or not i don't know you know i'm just i'm just spitballing here as to why they would separate them at all so that will be interesting um i know that bubba had written me a, a dm saying well he thought that they were doing the separation um because uh Barney Harris isn't coming back to assume the role for Matt for season two. They've got a new actor and this would be a good way to, you know, split it off uh, so that you kind of forget about Matt after these next two episodes. And then when they come back to him in season two, it, the actor change won't see such a big deal. That's possible as well. I guess I just hope that that's not the case. I, I really, uh, just as a fan, I would like to see pot and fame again. That's, that's just me. And the ways themselves, 
I mean, in the books, you know, well, first of all, I don't mind the fact that all of this is happening in Tarvalon instead of Camelon or instead of these other places. I think that that's fine. I was a little worried about the motivation to get to the eye of the world, but they seem to have taken care of that in episode six. And uh, the ways themselves, it's just something that's standing out there in the middle. It's huge. And it's standing out there in the middle of nowhere. You would think that that would draw some particular attention. Whereas what I loved in the books was that the ways were, had been built on top of that. They were not really visible to most of the world unless you activated it. Uh, and you know, in, in the cellar of, of a place in, in Camelin and what have you, or, uh, embedded in the rock right there at the edge of the blight, uh, as they come out, I can't wait to see what they do with the ways. I think that that's going to be fantastic, hopefully. And, uh, we'll see how that all pans out in episode seven, the dark along the ways. Guess that's it for Matt and Rand. Let's move on to Egwene and Perrin and not a whole lot to say for episode four. I love that they did the whole Aram thing, you know, and I, of course, very much advocated for the Tuathan uh, in in general to Bubba. I love the whole give the piece a chance thing. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I know that Bubba and Catfish, um, what they thought of it when we talked in episode five, but I loved how the futility of all of that was shown in uh, episode five. Uh, with child Valda and his children of the light. Um, and that's generally the case with peaceful protest, right? You don't, you don't, you don't generally win. Uh, e- either you're ineffective or you just get hauled off to jail or, or beat up or hosed down or tear gassed or whatever. So um, I loved how that also had some modern uh, implications to it. Again, there's not much of their storyline in episode four, Episode five, of course, is where it all amps up and, and Perrin and Egwene get captured. Um, man, they just turned everything up to 11 on that amplifier and in episode five. And it was fantastic. Um, I don't think I've hated anybody uh, like as much as I hated Child Valda since maybe Game of Thrones, where I really hated Ramsey Bolton. Uh, he's that kind of character to me, you know, so even the, the whole I, I was thinking of flaying when he was doing the thing with uh, parents back. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And finally, we get the golden eyes. We get the yellow eyes and we haven't had any need for Elias. Uh, we didn't need to set any of this up. And uh, I think that there's if I recall right from the books, some more of this gets explained uh, to Perrin as well in regards to, uh, I don't remember who explains it to him, but he learns a little bit more about being a golden eye uh, in the second book and what have you. And the shame of it hasn't really been exhibited even through episode six yet. So I'm not sure what they're going to do about all of that because Perrin doesn't um, doesn't like being different that much when he first realizes that he's got this connection to the wolves. But all of that action was super fantastic. A lot more amped up, um, I think, than they did in the books. Uh, and remember that it was Moraine and Lan and Nynaeve who kind of came and basically saved them from the camp. Here they were able to save themselves. So I love the way that that really empowers those characters. 
Plus, if you're going to play up this whole thing about uh, who is the Dragon Reborn, if you're going to play that all the way up to the probably episode eight of this season, then you need to have your character, your potential candidates be powerful enough to save themselves, let alone, you know, they don't need to be saved by Moraine all of the time. Now, of course, the thing with Matt um, that was a whole different kind of powerful magic. And, and if you remember, Moraine even really struggled uh, to help separate Matt's connection uh, from the, the corruption and couldn't separate him from the dagger in the books. So it's good that they have these characters um, doing this whole bit in regards to uh, being able to save themselves. Also, uh, with as far as Perrin goes, I mean, if they're going to do um, the search for the horn, maybe in they, obviously they're not going to get to it in season one. If they get to it in season two, um, you don't really need that tracker character if you have Perrin, uh, his already starting to hone his abilities and being able to track uh, the Trollocs and everything uh, himself. So that would be fantastic if they if they decide to take that route. Um, I don't even know if they're going to do the horn thing. So we'll, we'll see what happens with all of that. Um, in episode six, there's not a whole lot from Perrin in this ep, but at least Moraine knows that uh, about the wolves and the golden eyes, and maybe they'll find a way to use his abilities in the ways itself. Maybe they'll find a way to incorporate it that way. Um, I guess they didn't really go permanent until the end of the first book or the beginning of the second book in terms of parents' eyes. So TV only people might have to wait for an explanation about parents' eyes um, or for a full explanation about parents' eyes in season two. Um, but I, I love all of the potential there uh, for parent. I also love that uh, Egwene uh, had managed to get those rings uh, back from child Volva in episode five and that, uh, the meeting with, with Swan and, and Nynaeve was fantastic. Um, Egwene seems to be the, the character pretty much like in the books, um, wants to do the right thing. And we, we see that, um, here she's doing the right thing despite Nynaeve kind of being Nynaeve and, and stubborn, right? As for all of the rest of it, uh, let's go to episode four. And of course, all of the low gain stuff. Uh, first of all, just with Nynaeve herself, they demonstrated, uh, I, I thought they did a really good job explaining the uh, the different factions. And they really good, did a good job of setting up the political stuff that they have in episode five and six, just within the camp before all of this stuff with low gain breaks out. So I thought that that was fantastic, seeing how the, the factions are all kind of sectioned off. And the way that the warders hang out together, that was wonderful. And some kind of explanations about the connection between the uh, warder and the Aes Sedai. I still go back to that very first episode when Moraine and Lan are fighting. And there's this one shot where Lan starts to swing at this trollic and Moraine kind of instinctively ducks. I thought that was a great demonstration of their kind of psychic connection um and of course in this episode we get the great demonstration of it in a negative way when Stepan feels uh, Karene uh die that was 
awful. That was horrible. Uh, and I, I thought that that was well demonstrated. And of course it carries on through to episode five, the way that Stepan feels, you know, like he has no further purpose. Um, and he can't shake off the, the pain of losing Corinne and losing his connection to her. Nynaeve's power. That was awesome. Now we don't see anything like that until later books. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I love that they brought it forward because now it amps up the whole potential reborn. Now she has to go on the quest with them rather than just somebody who's hanging along to make sure that the kids will be okay. So I think that that's wonderful that they did that. The act of defiance uh, regarding Logan's actions was great as well. Uh, remember that uh, they they wonder if they can uh, reconnect Logan to the to the one power later in this series, and uh, Nynaeve is kind of the 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 principal in uh, in finding a way to do that. So I love the foreshadowing here uh, with all of that. Just the fact that she said no. You, you're not going to kill all my, you're not going to kill my man, my potential man. Uh, so it was an act of defiance regarding Logan's actions there from Nynaeve and uh, that, that whole healing thing and his recognition of her, uh, of her power uh, may be a, a key to if they bring Logan uh, back into the story here in the future, which I suppose they will have to, right? Uh, episode five, the Tarvalin, uh, instead of Camelin, like I said, that's that's fine with me. Um, they're essentially executing um, the story in the same way uh, in terms of meeting Loyal and all of that. Uh, you don't have the 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 great white cloak presence uh, in Tarvala naturally that you would have in Camelin. I know that they kind of set it up to, as to wondering as to whether. Uh, Moraine's mission was secret instead of rogue. That was resolved in episode six. Uh, Bubba and Catfish both had it right all along. I didn't have to worry about trying to mislead them there. Um, I thought it was a little awkward the way they tried to demonstrate Moraine's mission potentially being rogue. Uh, but I'm okay with that also in the long run. I mean, they, they resolved it quickly, so it doesn't really matter whether uh, the setup of the question was a little awkward or not, I suppose. I had wondered after I saw episode five, how much they might uh, go with Swan. Would they, would, if they had brought the stuff from book two forward, would they bring other stuff forward about, you know, people starting to depose her? And that was set up beautifully. I think uh, Catfish in, in our episode six review uh, made a really good point about how can people not notice this Moraine and Swan connection when they're taking that oath. And uh, I think that, you know, this whole bit, the, the whole purpose of this was to show her not playing favorites, um, yet they might have gone too much to the other extreme, and their reactions to that may have some problems with that. They In episode four, the Nynaeve and Land thing, um, I even asked Bubba, I think I said, is, is Nynaeve checking out, uh, Land's Instagram a little too often. <laughs> and, uh, he was kind of like, eh, it's a, it's all right. And I thought maybe, uh, you know, they, they were trying to be a little bit too forward with it all right now. I don't recall a moment from the books where they're really kind of that intense. 
Uh, of course, they were able to break it up really quickly with with the whole fighting thing. I did love the fact that the king uh, that uh, Loghain had had turned to his side. I did love the fact that he was still fighting uh, and dying for Loghain at the end of episode four. Uh, but then you have this whole bit with, with Steppen and I loved how it demonstrated that Aes Sedai and Warder connection, but I think a lot of people got turned off by that and maybe it was easier for me to engage with it because Dave Franz is one of my favorite actors, uh, in terms of who's in this series, the one, the one that I really enjoyed seeing, um, I hated that it was a quick end for him. I thought it was a little awkward for Steppen to just suddenly bring up to land, you know, you know, that Nynaeve's into you. Um, it's almost like they're having to put things out there in our minds rather than giving us time to discover it for ourselves. Uh, and I understand you're trying to cover a lot of material. Um, I have the world is a huge book in itself. And then they're also bringing in stuff from book two and, and even book three. Uh, so I, I get why uh, some things have to be truncated or or maybe over exaggerated, um, but it still just feels. I think even to a TV only viewer, it feels a little awkward. It's like, well, why are they being so forward about that? Um, maybe not. Uh, let me know. Tweet to me at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter whether you have TV only friends who are um, making some of these comments about. You know, that well, that seems awkward or that seems like they're trying to hit us over the head with an anvil with that. Um, let me know. Now, for episode six, I loved the swan flashback. Um, I love the fact that they kept her from a fishing village and, and all of that. I thought that that was uh, beautifully done. Um, I do feel like that the whole daughter of the river, clever as a pike, strong as the tides thing was a little overdone because... It seemed like, uh, you know, it was just set up so that Moraine could say it at the end of the episode. So I, I didn't I didn't particularly care uh, for how that was overemphasized. Uh, but that's very nitpicky, right? I mean, you don't even care about whether that's it. Um, all of the stuff between Swan and Moraine, uh, basically, you know, is Swan actually mad at Moraine? And then you find the reveal that they're actually uh, really close. That's all from book two uh, happening when, I guess, when Swan comes to Faldara. Is that correct? And that's after all of the Eye of the World stuff. And I had wondered how they were going to do this getting to the Eye of the World or whether they were going to put it off. Maybe uh, for, I didn't know how they were going to order things. And now, it, it, conveniently, they can just do it with Swan's dream. Um, basically saying, well, you've got to go to the Eye of the World because the Dark One is weak and we need to get him now and yes all of our you know it's kind of like throwing luke into the middle of the into the middle of fighting darth vader uh when he's his training is not finished these people's training isn't even begun so that seems a, a little tropic in in some ways um i guess that i should have suspected that they would amp up kind of the swan moraine thing uh early on uh, and, and this gave it an opportunity to do so. The idea of, you know, I think from the books, it was more like, uh, the, you know, 
people go through an experimental phase or what have you. Um, I always got more of that impression uh, from from the books. But maybe I'm wrong there. Tweet at Blockbuster or if you're on the YouTube, leave a comment below on the YouTube and let me know what you think of all of that. I loved the whole meeting with with Loyal uh, at the White Tower between Moraine Land and Loyal. Now, I've seen some episode stills where it showed them looking over maps and things like that. And I, I don't know if that was just posing for those and and or if it was something that was actually shot and they ended up having to cut or something that might be a flashback later on. Uh, I'm not sure. But either way, uh, I kind of missed that. I would have liked to have seen a little more loyal in this episode rather than him just at the end saying, well, I'll guide you through the ways or more or less or what he's going to say. Um, no real explanation that the old gears and we can still get this in episode seven because going through the ways is probably going to be pretty boring uh, a chance for lots of exposition and loyal can explain how um, the old gear the builders built the ways and that why he knows the ways and that kind of thing so i'm not too distressed about any of that yet i i, I again the the ways gate the way gate itself um just seemed awkward it's like wouldn't people walk up to that and say what is this what is this or would they know um it, it just it just feels a little weird. I'd much rather have them hidden, uh, even one uh, from hidden in the garden at, at at the White Tower. That would have been fine too. Although I guess they had to keep it uh, more secret like that because they had to do the whole banishment thing, uh, which I think Bubba and Catfish are right. Based on the way it was worded, it didn't come off nearly as strong as it should have. Um, but I just, you know, I took the oath rod thing. Uh, to to make it so that, you know, it could be very uh, difficult for Moraine to come back. So like that. Uh, one other thing here. One final thing. Um, Bubba and Catfish were talking about uh, Leandrin and, and the man in North Arbor. And of course, they're naturally thinking about how the Reds don't particularly use men or even Leandrin's attitude towards men. Uh, that we've seen demonstrated throughout the series and everything. But I'm thinking they're referring to uh, Black Aja, right? Is that who what Moraine... Does Moraine already know that Leandrin is meeting with a, with a Black Aja? Because that's the impression as a book reader that I took away right away. Um, let me know what you think on that at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. And don't forget, you can also send emails to Matt's audioblog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Or you can find a contact form and all of the podcasts that I do at Matt's audioblog.com. Remember, we're part of the Double P Media Network. So follow them on Twitter at the word double, the letters P-H-Q, that stands for Podcast Headquarters. And you can also find them on Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. You can find them at doublepmedia.com. The word double, the letter P, media.com. And, of course, if you're listening to this in audio form, check out the YouTubes as well. And those are at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, media. Whew. All right. I think we're all done here. Uh, don't forget... I want a screenshot of you being subscribed to any Double P podcast. Parsec Passion is coming back real soon, covering the book of Boba Fett. So 
subscribe there. Send me a screenshot of that. Or uh, His Dark Materials will be back in 2022, and me and Holly will be covering it on The Dust. So go there and subscribe there and send me a screenshot of that. If you're subscribed to the Joffrey of Podcasts, if you're subscribed to Parsec Passion, if you're subscribed to the Double P Podcasts regular feed, or Blessed and Blockbusters, or The Dust, or any Double P Podcast, just show that you're subscribed and you're entered in a chance to win. Right now, I only have one name. You don't want that one person to have the only chance to win a free T-shirt. You want to win a T-shirt. So do it. I know you do. I know you want to win a T-shirt. And I'm paying for it. I mean, it's free for you. Anyway, see ya.